autumn lovers and film fans. We have, uh, what we don't have is a team in the playoffs, but what we do have is an upcoming Halloween packed full of fun stuff. We'll talk to our guest, Sean Parada from the St. Louis Public Library at the Booter Branch. Coming up next, around minute 10, we'll talk Halloween Kills. Around minute 27, The Last Duel. Around minute 29, a preview of Dune. Around minute 39, Needle in a Time Stack. Around minute 45, The Velvet Underground. Around minute 48, The Rescue. Around minute 52, Four Hours at the Capitol. And then we'll wind up with everything that's going on soon. We have Sean Parada today as our guest from the St. Louis Public Library. And of course, people know the library for books, but did you know how many resources they have for film? Did you, Carl Middleman? I, I, I did know that. And I've also known Sean Parada for, let's see, 45 years. <laughs> I've known Sean. I've known Sean my entire life. Sean's my best friend from grade school. Yeah. What grade school did you go to? Well, St. Gabriel the Archangel in South City. And when we went to grade school, Booter Library, where Sean is, was at where the record exchange is now. And I used to go there every day to, uh, well, it, to meet girls. Let's just say that. Uh, that's that's as far as I'm going to go with that. Because well, there, the were, there were girls that we all had a study group. It was fun. Well, that makes so much sense about the record exchange because I have often thought, what a cool building. And wow, this is really special because I've just known Booter because that is my local library. Um, I've just known Booter for, you know, six, seven years now. So, aha. Yes. So, Sean, how long have you been at the Booter branch? Uh, well, I've been for the, in the system. 30 years. I started at the old booter, worked there about seven years, I think, uh, moved to the new booter, went down to Central for about 10 years, then came back. So uh, about 17 years of the total at booter, both the old and the new. It was a good, it was a good building. I like the old booter. That's yeah. where I first saw, we, they used to show us Star Trek movies, well, Star Trek episodes yep. on on uh, old projectors. And that's where I saw Star Trek, the original series back in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Well, I, I discovered the St. Louis public library when I was in high school because they allowed us Illinois people to get a card uh, back in the day, there was some kind of agreement. So a friend of mine and I would take the bus over and go to the St. Louis library. And we were in awe of all the resources there. So Sean, what is your exact title? And tell us more about what you do. Um, I'm a reference librarian. So I work on the uh, second floor booter where we have all the nonfiction, we have the computers. Um, I, we answer, you know, reference questions. We, we also do passports now at the library. What? Uh, yep. Just Wait, do you take the spot. pictures and everything too? No, we don't do that. Uh, okay. We'll to go to still got to go to Walgreens for that. You still got to go and stand in front of that ugly thing and yeah. get two of them. Get two of them because why, Sean? Um, I think one for yourself or one if we uh, staple in the wrong place or something. Okay. 
Yeah, one to, just a one to a little tiny frame for. Nice. I have one. Yeah. And uh, so we started that in July. And we also started doing notary services in July, too. So I'm also a notary. Really? Yeah. And so no, uh, one, no one knows these things that their local library is providing. Now, is the notary thing come with a cost? Uh, no, if you do it at the library, it's free. Wow. That is a major expense that now I know that because yeah. Yeah, they, it's, it's usually like $25 if you have to, because they have, because it's, it's a very involved process to get something notarized. It is. It looks a lot harder to get it at the bank too. It seems like they don't have as many notaries as they used to. Our notary only comes in on Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. And they call in sick today, so. Right. And then you, um, yeah, you come back next Wednesday and they're not there that day. Oh, they're all on vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've been hearing stories. Well, my two sons became enamored with the local library for checking out CDs mm -hmm. and DVDs yep. during their youth. And that has continued to fascinate me how many resources you have in that regard. Mm hmm yeah, well, yeah, Carl and I started off with uh, LPs and yeah, cassette tapes. Yes, and uh, VHS. Yeah, that was a, that was a big deal when VHS came out. So yeah, it's uh, they keep uh, they keep upgrading every time the technology changes. We we move on to uh, yeah, we got games too now. But um, do you have MP3s there? I think they've got. Uh, I don't. I don't do with the with the games so much, but yeah, they've got a big big selection don't they have um well i know you have a huge digital resource and the st louis uh the cinema st louis people um always tell you about these two resources at your st louis public library where you can stream films mm -hmm. which is an amazing resource for people not plugged into whatever streaming services there are on television these days. So that's a nice offering is Hoopla. And what's the other one? Overdrive. Overdrive. Yeah. That's, that is where my wife gets all of her library books on Overdrive. And she has learned a hack. If you are, if you are not finished with a book that is on Overdrive and you still want to finish it and it's about to be taken away from you, Put your phone on air or put your or put your device like your iPad on airplane mode and it can't connect and you can finish the book and it won't take it away from you. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. Well, I first met Sean a couple weeks ago when I uh, introduced the movie Rear Window during their Hitchcock month of a series they run called Movie uh, Monday Matinees. And it's wonderful. It's in the basement of the Booter Library in their auditorium, and uh, it's free. Anybody can go. And so during September, they had a Hitchcock movie every Monday. And then now they are in not so horrific, scary movie mode for Halloween. So what is coming up these next two Mondays in uh, October, Sean? Uh, this coming Monday is going to be at the Night Stalker. Um, and then the week after that will be the original uh, House on Haunted Hill. Ooh, with Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, that that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, and then uh, November starts uh, film noir month, and uh, he'll be he'll be coming back in November. Yes, I'm coming back for my favorite movie of all time, On the Waterfront. Um, I'm going to talk about that the weekend after Thanksgiving on Monday, November 29th. So I uh, just, I know that seems like an odd movie to pick over Casablanca and Citizen Kane. But every time I see it, I find new things and you just don't get any better than Marlon Brando and Ava Maria Saint and Carl Malden and Rod Steiger. It's, uh, uh, anyway, I can go on and on and on about that film, which I will. And then there's breaking, a knockoff. Breaking some thumbs. I know there's a knockoff. Well, I wouldn't say a knockoff. Maybe it's more of an homage. Uh, the great writer of Mystic River, Dennis Lehane, the Boston series, he did a movie called The Drop with Tom Hardy and James Gandolfini. And Max and I just love this movie so much. Max Boise, our buddy. And we talk about this a lot. And it's, Tom Hardy's character is so much like Terry Malloy, it's incredible. And so I always recommend, did you see the drop to people? And they always are like, no, because nobody saw it. <laughs> so there you go. That's my, that's my, um, Thanks. So we have a Halloween movie that Carl has seen. I was actually going to pay a premium peacock this morning, Carl. Okay. To- now, see, that's that is what I wanted to know because they said, "Hey, this is going to be on Peacock this weekend," and I'm like, "Is is it going to be like an HBO Max thing or is it going to be like a Disney Plus thing?" It's more yeah. of a Disney Plus thing. Yeah, it's more of a Paramount Plus. Like for me to watch the Tony Awards, I had to upgrade to their premium. Okay. Sure, I can watch any uh, uh, episode of The Office on the free one. No, you but... can't. You can only watch certain seasons of The Office on the free one. Oh, okay. Well, I've seen them all anyway in real time. So And, it's and they're, like... on, they're on Comedy Central like 50 times a day. They are. And so, so anyway, uh, I go to Peacock to click in Halloween Kills and uh, it said... Uh, watch it on premium okay so yeah it, it's halloween kills it is the direct sequel to uh 2018's halloween which is a direct sequel to the 70s halloween even though it's the same title even that's another weird thing about this movie is it's uh it has some scenes they do some flashback scenes in fact the movie starts with a flashback back to 1978 but they have scenes from Halloween 2. But this movie dis- discounts Halloween 2. So it- it's kind of weird what they've done. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and her daughter, Judy Greer. Lynn, what do you remember of the first one? Because almost everybody from the first one that lived is in this. What do you remember from the first one? I hear it. Oh, I, I was terrified. Um, I saw it at the actual theater the day it came out. And we had a friend of mine and I had read about it or heard about it. And because uh, this is pre all those entertainment shows and the internet, this is 1978. And we found it and the Esquire, and it was not even the big Esquire auditorium. It was two or three. That's when it was, that, that's when the Esquire only had four theaters. 
Right. And so we're upstairs watching it and we're screaming. And I remember how chilling uh, John Carpenter's direction was because he took the the eyes of the perpetrator and uh, Donald the shape. Yes, the shape. Donald Pleasance was so terrified. He was creepy because he was so terrified as the man who had studied Michael Meyer all these years. And then the high school kids getting whacked in the most unusual ways. And then goody Jamie Lee Curtis, who had only been on a TV show called Operation Petticoat uh, when she was cast in this. And then John Carpenter wasn't really known yet and that chilling music that's what i take that, away that, from that that, that he wrote yes and uh then <laughs> fun fact i went back because this is pre you know you couldn't just watch movies again you had to go pay for them and uh so i went on a first date with somebody <laughs> to uh because this was 1978 to uh the stadium cinema one or two, which I can't remember, on a Friday night, packed full of people for Halloween. And it was one of those audiences that talked back to the screen and screaming, and that was really fun. I think you have to experience Halloween with an audience. And I've seen it many times since. I like director David Gordon Green, who rebooted this with his buddies, Danny McBride, and um, so I like the 2018 it's one. I Scott Teams. Yeah, Scott I Teams can't was the other guy. Yeah, I can't remember um, if you liked it. Did you like it? Uh, I, I liked it. I, I liked Halloween H2O as well. But, you know, this is the 12th Halloween movie. And the only one that is they, they keep restarting it all the time. And so it's it's kind of hard to follow. And what did what do you remember of the 2018 one? Because you have to remember things. Yeah, I don't remember much. Isn't that terrible? I, I that was when I had just started reviewing on KTRS and we did this whole show on it and how it played homage to the original. Mm -hmm. I still think that mask is super creepy, even though now we know it's a bleached out William Shatner mask. <laughs> right. the, the guy that's the art director of that, who came up with that mask, genius guy. Yeah. And then the well, they, hulking, they, they put it inside out. Yeah. And then the hulking figure in that work outfit. It's just chilling to see that picture. I don't care what anybody says that the picture of the guy with the mask on is always going to be frightening. Right. And so Jamie Lee Curtis re is uh, playing Laurie Strode again. And then Judy Greer plays her daughter. And then uh, Andy... Matichak is the granddaughter and this is, takes place seconds after Halloween ends. So if, I mean, if you just want to see stabby stabby and don't know anything about this, I mean, you can, but it really helps because what happened at the end of Halloween is a big deal of what, and that was the great fake out of Halloween of 2018 was how this was all leading to the very end. But, and you always wonder, how does Michael Myers survive? Well, this time the firemen come and they save, they put the house out. They put the house out and then he kills like 18 firemen at the very beginning. And so 
what happened. So it, it makes sense that he lives. It doesn't make sense at the end where he's, you know, they're the whole mob of people are trying to kill him. And of course he lives because there is going to be a third one. Uh, this movie's dumb. It's a lot of stabby stabby. Nobody has phones. A lot of things like there, there's a, there's a posse out looking for him. And Michael Anthony Hall plays little Tommy Doyle, the woman, the, the child that Laurie Strode was babysitting that night. So he, he, he's tied back to the original and you have, uh, you have Will Patton as the sheriff's deputy who, well, we thought was dead from the first one. And then you also have a lot more people that from the first one that like were just in passing in the first one, they come back in this. It's, it's Max liked this one better than the first one. I think I like the first one better than this. Okay. And so, and what happens, well, there are surprising deaths in this, let's just say, and you don't, and I'm not going to say, but there are surprising deaths in this. The main problem in this, and just the main problem with Halloween 2 as well, Jamie Lee Curtis, who got stabbed in Halloween 2018, she is in the hospital the entire movie. So a lot of action takes place at the hospital, and then the other action takes place, everyone's looking for Michael Myers. So a uh, lot, lot of see. stabs, nothing, no, no original stab. It's not like, it's not like they found new and original ways to stab people to death. I mean, one guy gets stabbed in the face and then one guy gets stabbed in the eye and then it's kind of gross and well, they're all gross, but it, it's not, it's, it's nothing new. So, cause you're here for the story. You're not here for the, it's not like, Friday the 13th where they found innovative ways to kill or like the Nightmare on Elm Street series where it was the dream world. This is just Michael Myers being a brute killer and stabbing people. So if you're not into that, you're, you're not, you're not joining this 12 in not knowing what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Well, you do have to know it's come out now. I did see Halloween two and Halloween three and I think I checked out after that and I didn't resume. Well, Hall- I- well, because Halloween, they wanted Carpenter wanted it to be an anthology series, but Halloween made so much money. They had to make Halloween two. And they're like, OK, fine. But I want to do my anthology series. And that was three. That was uh, season of the witch. Right. And then they're like, well, that didn't work. But they didn't give it a chance. If they would release that second, then. It could have been just like American Horror Story, and they've done something different every year because that was his original plan. He wanted to come out with something every year that was different. But then Halloween 4, which a lot of people think is one of the better ones, that's the return of Michael Myers. And then the fifth one, the death or the end of whatever. And then, then there's maybe that's Halloween 6. It doesn't matter. They, no, and then there's the Rob Zombie reboot. Yes. Or uh, the new uh, visionist. Well, what was so groundbreaking, people have to remember this. In 1978, what was so groundbreaking was the way John Carpenter directed it, the way uh, the film was written, and the creepy music. It spawned so many knockoffs and so many copycats. It became the template for 
um, women being hunted down, especially the final girl, the bad girls. Yeah, no, the, the bad. final. No, no, if you had that was the Friday the 13th. If you had sex, you died. But right. But the final girl is a product of Halloween because Laurie Strode was final girl. Right. And then we find out she's actually the sister to Michael. Well, that, that is not this this continuity. That continuity doesn't exist in this. Oh, okay. Now that that was they 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 retconned that uh, a while ago. Twenty eighteen doesn't have her be the sister. They just have her still be the baby babysitter. But she's tainted by this horrific thing in the small town. What I also liked in seventy eight was this Haddonfield. I had a New York film critic, a very famous New York film critic, call me up. Mm-hmm. And ask me if there really was a Haddonfield. Because, you know, we didn't have Wikipedia or Google Maps back no. then. And he called me up and asked me if there was a real Hadden, Haddonfield, Illinois. I was there like, is not. No, it's fiction. But that rustling of the leaves, how they played with the sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying it if the 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 first one is deservedly a landmark and I don't know how many times I see, I've seen it in a theater with other people around this time of year. Right. I just think it it might not hold up 40 years later but I think there's a lot of good qualities in it still. So, so is there any reason to see this besides? Well, yeah, if you if you want to be scared, it's October. Go go see a scary movie if you want to see a scary movie. If you're not into this and you've never seen a Halloween movie before, no. You know what you're getting. It's not like this movie's critic proof. I can tell you anything about it and. If you want to go see Halloween, you go see Halloween. I mean, let me say this. It was stupid, but I'm actually looking forward to the sequel, which will be the final of this trilogy. Okay. Which, and they they do lead, they lead into it, and they also give you hints on how the next one's actually going to be called Halloween Ends. So, because everyone thinks Halloween Kills is a stupid name, but the next one's called Halloween Ends. So... Well, they've all filmed it like this one was in the can very quickly after the first one, but it, because of the pandemic, it has sat. Yeah. So. This one, you, you're right, Lynn. You need to see this in a the theater with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, that's why I was so dis- disappointed that I could well, not I, go. But the weird thing was, like, people, and this was a group of critics, I just straight up laughed a couple times because some of the murders were just so stupid and there were and then once i laughed other people felt that they could laugh at the stupidness of michael myers slowly walking and catching someone who's been running for a half a minute so yeah it's all about the angle so sean is uh the uh the halloween classic do you remember it from your childhood seeing it he was seven no yeah. you might have been you you were eight we were both eight at the time well, when you saw it in your childhood, do you remember the first time seeing it? I was actually quite a bit older before I got around to watching it. Um, I think it was in high school even. But no, I was I was impressed. One thing I noticed, it was like uh, Psycho. It's almost completely bloodless. You just, uh, you think you're seeing more than you are. Um, no, I think, it's, I think it's really well done. I think it really holds up. I haven't actually seen the sequels. I've heard that... Uh, 
Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't happy about uh, how her character ended up in the, the one. So she was happy to do a reboot. But yeah, you can you can kind of write kind of anything now. Um, yeah. One one bit of trivia I just I just found out. Um, apparently, they wanted Christopher Lee to play uh, the Donald Pleasance character, and I think Donald Pleasance does a great job. But it'd be interesting yeah. to see what Christopher Lee would have. Uh, Oh, it, it made him a career for him for a long time. Yeah. He was in a lot of them after, and even after he died, they still, you, and they still have somebody that in this that looks like him too. Yeah. Well, Donald Pleasance had a long career as a character actor, and then this totally rejuvenated his career. Well, he was Blofeld. Yeah, he was Blofeld. Ah, and then, uh, John Carpenter, he had been in St. Louis filming Escape from New, from New York. York. Yeah. So that was his only claim to fame. Plus, he did this great miniseries with Kurt Russell called Elvis. Yes. And Are, was it Elvis or This is Elvis? I think it's Elvis, but it was about the leading up to that special. Right. This is Elvis. But he was nominated for an Emmy for it. And so I think Kurt Russell was too. That's one of the best Elvis impersonations on screen, I think. But yeah, Kurt, Kurt you know, that was John life. That was John Carpenter. And then he followed up with The Fog, which is mixed. I think it's gained in popularity since then. But uh when you program the Halloween movies, Sean, do you uh, uh tend to shy away from the slasher movies. Well, they probably that... have to be PG thirteen at least. Yeah, um, I don't think that we've ever done those. Um, I don't know the reason why. This is the first time I've been involved with the um, movie series. We've shown movies for years, um, like Carl said, even going back to the old booter when it was a projector, but. Um, the uh, my coworker Nicole picked out the ones for this series. We finally got restarted again after the pandemic, um, and since she's not here, I can't tell exactly how she picked things. But I think if we, I don't know if there's any rules against that, as far as I know. Are I think, any of them rated R? I think that these ones are all classics. I think they're all. Um, um, I don't. Well, I don't know when they changed. I mean, like you know, we showed Young Frankenstein. That's a you know, there's some some parts of it that maybe uh, rolling the hay rolling yeah. the hay well i still think that uh the birds is one of the most frightening movies ever yeah. and uh you're always going to get the classics from the from the uh older eras that to me still still are good and uh if you have vincent price coming up the house on haunted hill that's a that is just a classic. And so many people haven't seen it. They've seen the Jeffrey Rush one, but they haven't seen, which is absolutely terrifying in the first 10 minutes, I think. But yeah, it's a little, the, yeah, I saw the, I saw the remake. It's a little uh, more gruesome than I usually prefer, but uh, hmm. there's some good. Yeah. Anything well, I that surprise is hard to grow I'm glad that Blumhouse has decided to do a trilogy of these films so it can wrap up hopefully very nicely. So happy Halloween, everybody. Lynn, you've seen the Matt and, Matt and uh, Ben are back together again. 
No, I didn't because that mm. was the day, uh, the the night I spent eight hours in the ER after a horrific fall that I tripped on uneven pavement. That was that night. And oh. I had to cancel because uh, I had one eye swollen shut. So not only could I not watch a movie, I could not drive. <laughs> so I missed it. However, Alex McPherson, who writes for my website, poplifestl.com, he gave it a B plus and Jim Batts is all over it about the performance of Ben Affleck in a supporting role. But it is about... It takes place in the 14th century and it is a, a, a relevant today because it's about sexual assault. Adam yeah. Driver plays the bad guy. Ooh. And Jody Comer is married to Matt Damon. And she claims that Adam Driver attacked her. And uh, so Adam Driver and Matt Damon have to do the last duel and it is uh, it's, the, it's the final duel that was ever legally held in france yeah it's based on a true story right and uh ridley scott directed it mm -hmm. and generally it's getting pretty high marks okay so I, I didn't see i didn't see it i believe i had a hockey game that night I think you did. Well, I was very disappointed at not getting it. So I'm behind, as you know, um, when you have pesky injuries that interfere with your head, your movie prior, your movie priorities kind of go down. Well, then, you know what? Since, since you didn't get to see it, I want to ask Sean a question about a movie we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're talking about Dune. And I had never read the book. And I had never, in fact, I believe it was Sean Parada who told me in 1984, don't see Dune. It's not very good. So because Sean saw that movie. So I went in seeing it totally newbie. I, I, I was I was pure white snow, didn't know anything about it. And I am interested in what Sean thinks of one, the book two the 84 movie and three, what he's expecting from Denis when he reboots with Timothy Chalamet. Sean. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard to say because I've forgotten a lot from the book. Um, I remembered if I remember rightly, um, my sister and her husband gave me and my brothers each a copy of, uh, we each got one of the first of the three books. So I read, I know the first three. And they're really well written. The world building, I think, especially is just, uh, I mean, you're, you're convinced that this world exists and everything or, or the different, different worlds. Um, yeah, I really liked it. The, I think, the, well, there, I've heard several problems with the first version of it. One is that the book is so long and so complicated, you can't cram everything into a single movie. Um, I mean, special effects have come a long way since then, too. I've also heard that there were issues between David Lynch and the, the studio, um, kind of like with um, some of the uh, superheroes movies that if you could actually get a complete David Lynch cut, maybe it'd be a different version than what you actually see. Um, but what I've been, I saw some reviews from just ordinary people on YouTube, uh, fans of the book, 
they've said that it's uh, it's faithful to it. I mean, you have you have to simplify certain things because the the book is so um, vast. Yeah, well, there's a lot of yeah, and there's a lot of literary stuff that doesn't necessarily you know film well, but there's, and there's a lot to explain. Um, I know uh, I don't know if you saw the Honest Trailers version of the original Dune. Yeah, they spent the first three minutes just trying to, you know, set up the uh, what you need to know to understand it. <laughs> but, but no, uh, uh, Carl, you can talk to this. Um, so if you if you know nothing about the plot, um, did you feel it was uh, understandable? You it, it's you. This is a movie that you need to pay attention when you're watching it, and it didn't help that we saw it at the. At, I, I'm not going to call out the theater, but it is one of the notoriously worst acoustically bad theaters in St. Louis. Every time we, I go to see a movie there that you need to be able to hear something, it's awful. And it's not just me. A lot of people think that. But I talked to somebody who saw it at a different theater, and she said, oh, no, it's mixed horribly. And for all this intricate stuff that's going on, you need to be able to understand what they're saying and what they're talking about because it's so dense that if you are unfamiliar, it's going to be hard to follow. And I will say this, it says it at the very beginning, so this is not a spoiler. This says Dune, part one. And if I, I don't know, our buddy Max from Max on Movies does not think that there is going to be a part two because this is so... I mean, we're not reviewing it. We're reviewing it next week. But Lynn, do you right. agree? I agree. I will say this. It's a sprawling cast. Uh, they're, cast in a lot of, they're in a lot of wind and a lot of, sun, uh, a lot of uh, sand. And because of that, it's hard to keep who's who with all the costume accoutrements uh, figured out. However, some people shine more than others. Um, I do think this is an unwieldy story and they try, this cast tries very hard to make it lucid because they're very good uh, at what they do. And Villeneuve, I'm going to, uh, uh, I had to give two lines, two sentences to Warner Brothers about this. I said, technical marvel, visually stunning, a very long 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 hero's journey oh yeah and it's two I, hours and 43 minutes yeah okay so that we'll set that up for next week um it has uh many uh it has pros and it has cons i don't know if anybody who read the book because i didn't uh i don't know if they're going to be satisfied with it and i think people that are just coming because they like the people in the cast True. are going to be scratching their heads. And I also think that uh, nowadays technology, 1984, you know, from today is, today yeah, is like David year. Lynch. It's David yeah. Lynch, he, he was, he was, he's above all that. And this was, uh, you know, this is, but I don't know, I'm just going to point this out and I'm going to say it next week too. I don't know why every movie in the future now has to look like it's medieval and also a Star Wars knockoff. I don't get <laughs> it, does, it. it. It does look like they're on Jakku. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm like, what the deal? And then those sweeping panoramas of like hundreds of soldiers in formation and all that. Oh, the you first know. orders here. Yeah. Oh my God. And then they have a villain that's like Jabba the Hutt, not as big, but really disgusting. And so I'm just like, did they just take elements of, of that? But they had three famous screenwriters on it. And then Dennis Villeneuve, he did Arrival and Prisoners, Sicario, and the great Blade Runner 2049. I think so, I think it looks more like Arrival than it does Blade Runner. Yes. I do too. I do too. I thought that very much so. So we're, we're tripping on three different planets. We're going, you got to keep the plan. One of the planets sounds like the other one. So when they're talking <laughs> and some of them whisper, it's like, okay, we're Adratus, Harkonnes, and then the desert planet. I for, just forgot the name of it. But anyway, it's, it's the just one with like the spice. It's the spice plant. Yeah, the spice one, the desert. It's like, it's really, Timothy Chalamet looks really good in this movie for his so, fans. So does Zendaya. Yeah, and Zendaya looks very good too. Now, uh, the thing is, he stands a lot and contemplates. That's one of those kind of movies. So he's in a lot of wind and a lot of sand standing there looking at the landscape. And his pretty hair keeps going in his face. Yes. Oh my and gosh, so, how many scenes did you just want him to go move the hair out of his face? You can see his eyes. Yeah, yeah, I will say this. And uh, uh, the biggest surprise of the whole movie to me is Jason Momoa. A clean-shaven Jason Momoa. Because I was like, well, he's really bringing some oomph oof to this. He plays this loyal warrior. Yeah, and kind, of, he, kind of like a mentor to Timothy Chalamet's character. And he makes his mark. So I was really impressed. But it's like I said, it's a cast of thousands. Uh, Oscar winner Javier Bardem. I'm like, is that all he's going to do? Well, really? Because he's got a bigger part in the next one. If well, there is a next one. I was going to say, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, all these. Yeah, it's just so bizarre in terms of trying to keep track of everybody. And um, I'm just coming at it as a novice. I saw the 84 one. I really don't remember anything except Sting had dyed red hair. And uh, who, was, I, who was Sting? Um, I can't remember. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a villain, and okay. he was actually on tour with the police for the Synchronicity tour. And when he was at either it was the Checker Dome or the arena, and I was there, and he had the bright red hair, you know, sticking out. But that's all I remember. I just remember a lot of sand. I remember David Lynch trying to be David Lynch. But that, hey, that's where they. That's where he met Cal McLaughlin. And if it wasn't for Dune, there wouldn't be a Twin Peaks. You're right. You're right. So, so Lynn, did you get to see any of the other movies that came out this that are coming out this week? I did see some, and I uh, I regret uh, that uh, I uh, went to watch Bergman Island, and it had already expired, even though it said expire uh, October fifteenth. So I didn't get to see that. That's IFC. So I have to do wiggle room but i did see this awful time travel movie that i would like to bring up called needle in a time stack it had you might be intrigued because it has this wonderful cast it has leslie odom jr that we love 
and mm -hmm. Cynthia Arrivo, Oscar nominee for Harriet and Tony winner, just like Leslie Odom Jr. And then it has Orlando Bloom and Frida Pinto. Yes. And it is written and directed by John Ridley, who won an Oscar for the screenplay to 12 Years a Slave. So we got some fine quality people here. It is a mess of a film because <laughs> time travel, for one thing, makes my head hurt. And this one particularly makes no sense. So we are in the near future and time travel is a hobby now of rich people because they can afford it. So Kyle, um, Kyle, no, you got me on Kyle McLaughlin. Orlando Bloom is this rich guy that used to be best friends with Leslie J. Odom Jr., but he now has um, money. But but um, he was married to Cynthia Revo, and then Leslie is now married to him. Um, they're in some unnamed city. They filmed it in British Columbia, so I assume it's Vancouver. It's very high tech. And no, they um, film everything in Vancouver. So Vancouver could be any city. Right. So Nick, played by Odom, is an architect. And Cynthia Riva, who plays Janine, she's a photographer. And they live in this gorgeous house that has every, you know, very cool digs, like out of architectural digest. Orlando Bloom is rich. So they have these things called phasings where they have a time ripple. And sometimes your memory is erased or people from your life are erased because some rich person's messing with the time travel. Okay. So these are waves that are CGI waves. And then Leslie Odom Jr. is a very miserable person who professes real uh, true love to his soulmate, Cynthia Revo, but they don't seem happy. He's so concerned about Orlando Bloom wanting her back and taking her back and messing with him that he's obsessed with this. And Orlando Bloom says, no, I'm not trying to get her back, but all of a sudden, I guess, spoiler alert, she disappears and he goes on this hunt. So he wakes up one morning and he's with his old girlfriend, Frida Pinto. And he's just as miserable with her as he was with the other person. So it's like, what is wrong with you, guy? You have like everything. You have a cool house. You have a cool job. You are what? And then uh, so Frida Pinto is not enough for him. So then we turn and uh, Orlando Bloom was a jerk, this rich guy. And then another time phase comes and he's benevolent following his dreams and caring about his friends. So it's just like, it's making your head hurt. Like wouldn't a time ripple cause all sorts of chaos every time in the world when people disappear and things go back like, the biggest thing you notice right off the bat is they have a dog. He goes, takes the dog for a walk. Then they have a time ripple and he comes home and their dog isn't there, but it's a cat. And the wife's like, we've had this cat for five years. What are you talking about? And that's okay. not how time travel works. Yeah. So it's really weird, but it's based on a short story 
from that was published in all places playboy in 1983 by robert silverberg a lot and of I, the play playboy used to do a lot of good literature so they did people they went did. there for the articles well, this is the needle in a time stack was a title of a collection of short stories this Robert Silverberg did in the 60s. I'm sure I'm sure he was trying to be very Twilight Zony back then. But nowadays, the one percent in uh, having money to do these things is not looked upon very kindly. It's like, like all these space travel. Right. Right. It's all these privileged people spending money without consequence on screwing up the world well i i i looked at it i thought about it and i said mm, i made the choice no well it is in limited theaters today and it is on video on demand should you like to watch it at home and on tuesday it comes out on dvd oh wow well, I wanted to watch the Velvet Underground because it has been a fantastic year for music documentaries. And I think I want to watch the Velvet Underground this weekend. Um, it's getting really rave reviews. And I must have been really cranky when I watched it because I thought it was pretentious as all get out. And I thought <laughs> Todd Haynes, uh, well, I wanted to know more about these other guys because I know plenty about Lou Reed and Lou Reed was a troubled soul and uh, it talks about his upbringing, which is good. And uh, his sister is not a happy camper because she doesn't like the way her parents have been portrayed by Lou all these years. And Lou is now deceased and the other band members get to tell their story. But it is shot by Todd Haynes. Well, not is Nico, not Nico who's trying to be very avant-garde and very artsy. And I think just doing these kind of artsy things doesn't give you a satisfying story. Now, other critics are raving about it. And I don't know if you're not a fan, if you're going to embrace it. I think it's really seriously for the fans of the Velvet Underground. And they spend a lot of time at Andy Warhol's The Factory. And that was where all the cool and hip people were in the 60s. And he, this Todd Haynes, is enamored with this period of history and runs a lot of the black and white footage from the factory. But most of these people are just sitting around being beautiful, hip, cool people. And there's well, not if, much... If if it wasn't for Andy Warhol, Nico wouldn't have joined the band. Right, right. I wanted uh, more of the music and uh, I wanted more about them. So it's it's a portrait, but it's very artsy, trying to be very avant-garde like that period. So I don't know if it necessarily works, but I have a high bar this year for music documentaries. Absolutely. Because Summer of Soul, the Sparks Brothers, and Tina are my top three. Uh, I pu I'd put the Billie Eilish one in there. And I actually, that was my number four. Uh, Summer of Soul, I have issues with Summer of Soul. I still think Tina's the best one. And Sparks and, is just weird. But, but I, a, I enjoyed Sparks. I, I, it's been a great year for music documentaries. 
It has. And so this is, I mean, I think fans are going to embrace it. I just don't know if you're not a fan and you're looking for more information, if it's going to be satisfying enough. That's my take. Well, and Lynn, we're running out of time. So tell us about what our buddy Diane Carson from KDHX says is the best movie of the year, The Rescue, which is on National Geographic. So is it that mean it's on Disney Plus? Uh, yeah, but not yet. Okay. It is only in theaters starting today. They're doing the theater market. Okay. It is at Ronnie's, Marcus Ronnie's, and it is also at Plaza Frontenac. It is the heroine rescue of the Thai soccer team that was trapped in a cave in Thailand in uh, 2018. We all remember the headlines, but we don't remember these details. They, no. they, they are stunning. They they climbed into this cave during low tide in the tides road and they couldn't get out. Right. And this cave is remarkable because you think of a cave like we do Missouri caves, you know, little look. Oh, no, this is just gigantic cave. And so they have maps of it. They have real film footage of that rescue and that period. They have the, the combination of the Navy SEALs and the, the world, the global cave divers. Two do, they, divers. do they call the, the do they mention Elon Musk when he volunteered? No. Okay. Um, Rick Stanton and John, I think it's Volenthin, they're the two British cave divers that were expect they were the first ones in there that far, and they expected to be recovering bodies. That's they're honest. They interview them throughout the whole movie. And they were like, you know, we thought we were just going to be doing the recovery because they talk about, you know, the signs of it. Mm-hmm. And their light all of a sudden shines and it's all those kids perched on this little tiny precipice. And oh, my God, when you see that moment, there's just no way you can't react to that because it's just phenomenal and because this cave is so big in this one area this hub where they had the navy seals and everybody they had wi-fi so those pictures were transmitted around the world like immediately the world they called it the miracle in the cave but to get the kids out the kids were in that they they were in there for two weeks they look so thin and gauntlet, but they were standing up when the guys shone the flashlights on them. They were like, thank you, thank you, in Thai, obviously. They have subtitles. They were like, these kids were like, thank you. It just breaks your heart. And then they were so hungry. They had to give them power bars and stuff like that. They had to drop down food, but they couldn't give them like regular food because of the situation. And also, how are they going to get 12 people out of there? Well, the coach too, 13 people out of there and monsoon season was coming. So it was this international effort to plan this. And they were really worried about deaths and about the diver died. Yeah. uh, Seal. Uh, And then uh, they were really worried about the Thai government, how public opinion would turn if any of the kids died and they might wind up in a Thai jail. So 
So it's very, uh, it's an excellent documentary. You're on the edge of your seat. It's like Apollo uh, uh, 13 when we know they get, but you don't know. Like you're still so engaged in the story that's unfolding. And then you have the parents, you have the anguish of the parents and you have all these government officials, but you, you see how humanity came together at a time and it's a good result because right now you know we're not seeing so many examples of great humanity now in the other documentary that i saw called four hours at the capitol which uh will premiere on hbo wednesday at 8 p.m and it is exactly as the title says Four Hours at the Capitol, and it is by Jamie Roberts, and it is chilling. It is the January 6th footage, and he is in the ground. He is on the ground. He is inside the belly of the beast. Uh, we have all sorts of talking heads on both sides. I'm not going to say that this is one side, but the sheer detail of the mob mentality and what he shows you and uh, how violent it becomes is really frightening. So it is uh, very matter of fact, it's a movie that I think everybody should see. I don't think it's gonna change anybody's minds, but even though we watched it unfold on the news, this is the four hours from start to finish this is a timeline is that it four hours long no it's only no it's not in real time it's less than two hours because it's it's actually an hour and a half because it's from 8 to 9 30 wednesday but then it'll be streaming on hbo max so okay. you can see it but it's only 90 minutes but the way it's edited and the they have police they have proud boys they have uh congressmen talking so and we have we have alt-right we have new york times photographer we have all sorts of different do they people. have a british guy that, that british photographer that was streaming live um you know i my head's maybe i can't maybe i can't remember um because they're flashing the names and then they're having all these people talk. And at this time, I they, some of those guys just kind of blend in with me because I was just, but it's exhaustive and it's just very well done and it's frightening. And so I saw a lot of documentaries this week and I think those are probably the best of the bunch. We will have for next week, we'll have Dune, The Harder They Fall, the Neo-Western and I sat through this the other night, Mass. Oh, I heard, I heard about Mass. I know how you, I, I know it was exhausting for you. Yes, it's but the, in a good way. In a good way, it is an uh, acting tour de force. It is two couples sitting in a room at an Episcopal church in Idaho, six years after the ones, uh, the one group, the one couples child was killed by a mass shooter at his high school and the other set of parents are the parents of the shooter Ooh. so we have the shooter's parents and uh, the victim's parents getting together because he killed 10 people in all that well and then he shot himself in the library so we have 11 but we have this dialogue between the parents and 
Oh my God. The last half hour is so raw and painful, but it's Ann Dowd, Reed Bernie, Jason Isaacs, and Martha Plimpton. And everybody will be hearing about this ensemble at awards during awards season. And the women are particularly stunning. But that's next week. It was a big hit at Sundance. First time film uh, writer and director who was an actor or is an actor. And uh, it's a very interesting story. And it actually, I don't want to leave people with a downer because it is hopeful. And mm -hmm. but you got to get to that point to uh, hopeful. But speaking of not so hopeful, <laughs> but the best show, the best drama on TV re-ups this Sunday on HBO for its third season, Succession. If you haven't watched Succession, you have to go back. And see HBO the first Max. 10 episodes each. It is incredible. Now, I'm not saying these people are likable, yeah. but it is, it's won nine Emmys. It's so writing. These people, it's like a Murdoch family. It's a median conglomerate. They're wealthy. It's about news. It's about politics. It's about family dynamics and American society. It has all this. And it's uh, amazing. And Colbert had the whole cast on last Friday okay. talking about the, uh, so, but Brian Cox has got the, the part of a lifetime. Well, I'm going to be waiting for Curb. Curb Your Enthusiasm comes back on October 24th. So I'll be happy about that. I am too. That, that is just like the, the biggest thing. So um, Sean, anything you want to recommend coming up at the library that we should put on our radar? Well, the only other, we're the only library right now doing a film series, but uh, the Carpenter branch is uh, on Wednesday, October 27th. They're having goth night. Ooh. Gonna be showing the original Nosferatu and uh, <gasps> So, and they're encouraging people to dress up. So, if you're if you've got your goth uh, regalia and you want to see Nosferatu, then go to Carpenter. You can sign up uh, on uh, slpl.org or or call Carpenter. But yeah, and then uh, we're and, uh, and then your events. Yeah, so come come to Booter on Monday afternoons and. 130. 1.30, right? And it's yeah. free, and it's nice people. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, will you be there? I will be there. Excellent. Come up and say hi to Sean. Uh, before we go, I want to say thank you to Sean, of course. And I want to say happy birthday to my daughter who is becoming an adult this weekend. She's happy not happy about that. She's going to be 18 on Monday. So... Oh, my God, Carl. Yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. So happy birthday, young lady. Maggie. And uh, yeah. Wow. Actually, That's... no, she, she's an adult now. So happy birthday wow. to be not young. <laughs> wow. Well, if you're looking for movies, if you're not watching the National League Championship Series or the American League Championship Series, um, Free Guy, Roadrunner, The Green Knight, all out on uh, DVD. So you can get it at Redbox or stream it on your television. Of and those, then... Free Guy Free is the best of all those. It is. And then uh, last uh, coming up this Tuesday is old Joe Bell, Snake Eyes and the Protégé. 
And so we've got some stuff coming up. But um, this Saturday on SNL, we have Rami Malek, the villain in Bond, as the host. And I actually thought Kim Kardashian did a really good job. She did very well. And I and you know what? I knew she was going to do well because she asked Chappelle. She asked Amy Schumer. She asked James Corden and Ellen DeGeneres, her showbiz friends, to help her write her monologue. And her monologue was really well done. Yeah, and Amy, and Amy Schumer showed up. Yeah, she poked fun at herself. It was, it was, I was so impressed, but that's what happens sometimes, you know. And then we got to give a shout out to our good friends, Ron Stevens and Joy Gridnick, because the Fountain on Locust is changing hands. They and sold they, it to Steve Ewing from Steve's Hot Dogs. No, not Steve Ewing. It's, um, it's, uh, Danny and, um, oh, Ike. Eichenhauser. They bought Steve's hot dogs. Oh, from- so Steve Ewing doesn't, he's just the face. He's not the owner. Right. Yeah. They bought That's it. Funny. They saved it. That's how come they're on grand now. And gotcha. um, anyway, they bought it. And so they're going to keep the fountain pretty much as is, but there's a new event space on the second floor, which we were very familiar, Carl, yes. with the second place because we started this podcast out on the second floor. Yes. And so they have taken that as an event space and um, they're going to have a farewell 1 to 3 p.m. Sunday to wish Joy well on her retirement. And they're going to have a tent outside, a canopy outside. So in case it's too cr- crowded on the inside, because they're very, they're very good about safety. That is one place yes. I have never felt strange about returning to. Right. Well, I... I, I have birthday things going on this weekend. So please send my regards to Ron and Joy. I will do that. And apparently they're going to have a new a podcast studio in one of their buildings. Yes. They, so, they are they are real estate mavens. Sean, thank you very much for being on with us. Where can we find the live? I besides SLP, wait a minute. What the website is slpl.org. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Hockey starts up again next week, so I'll be doing more stuff on the Instagram at underscore Carl the Intern. And you can hear me every weekday morning on the Mark Cox Morning Show on 97.1 and on The Great Outdoors and Second Amendment Radio on KMOX and 97.1. I'm all over the place. And the Max on Movies podcast. Lynn, where are you? You are. I am on KTRS every Thursday night with Ray Hartman after the 10 p.m. news for Miller Furniture Presents. Lynn Venhouse goes to the movies and I uh, have uh, my own website, poplifestl.com. And uh, we have this, of course. And then I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times every Friday online and sometimes in print. Uh, the movie reviews show up yes and uh, you can find those all over Webster Kirkwood and uh, I am on Rotten Tomatoes Mm. and uh, we're gearing up for uh, uh, quite the year end so stay tuned to this because we're going to alert you to all the movies that you should be seeing and Sean I hope to see you soon and also Everybody check out what's going on there because it's such a great resource. As you heard, Sean told us a whole bunch of things that you did not know that the library was doing and they are doing more. So don't forget, it's a great resource and you're paying for it because it comes out of your taxes. 
Right. Well, bye-bye, so long, stay safe, get vaccinated, and enjoy the fall. Thank you. Bye.